well, good morning. You can grab a seat this morning. It's wonderful to see you all. Are you doing well this morning? Great. Hey, it's great to be out here with you again at Life Church Selwyn. It was wonderful to see so many of your faces a few weeks ago at our All In service, um, but it's great to be out here in your home place in, your, in this wonderful town called Lincoln. And before I get into my message this morning, I want to share some exciting updates about our youth ministry. Part of my role here at church, yeah, come on, part of my role, role here at church is I'm the youth pastor. I oversee our life youth, youth ministry. And the way we run our youth group is we meet every Tuesday night, every Tuesday night from about 7 p.m. until 9 p.m., but we rotate on a fortnightly cycle. And so every two weeks, we host cell groups, which are youth life groups. They're a smaller gathering where youth gather together in their leader's home. And usually these um, nights will run through some sort of Bible study, or they'll have some discussion around a particular topic. And then they'll just have some fun together as well. It's a place where youth can come around and have some fun in that smaller group. And the main heart of these groups is to provide youth with people around them who they can do the journey with. Friends who are facing the same things that they're facing. Friends who can encourage them and get around them and love them. Leaders who can love them, who can speak life into their lives, who can encourage them and build them up. But then on alternating weeks, on those four nights where we don't have cell groups, we run Merge. And Merge is our youth service that we hold here, uh, not here, we hold at Levita in our youth center. This is where the whole group comes together and we have a service to celebrate and worship Jesus. We play some games, we run some challenges, we have our youth band which played it all in, who did that amazing opener. We have them lead us in some worship and then there usually be a time of message and response. And the whole point of these nights is to provide a space where youth can encounter God and they can worship Him. Where they can hear the truth about who He is and hear the truth about who He says that they are, where they can spend time in his presence with other youth and they can worship and glorify him in his presence. And what I found really interesting about leaving school, since being a few years out of school now and going through university and starting full-time work, as I look back over my time at school and that environment that you're in for 13 years of your life, for six hours a day, almost every day, that environment, and I compare that to where I am now or I compare that to university, what I'm starting to realize as I chat with a lot of our youth even today and, and hear the stories of the stuff they go through is that school is actually really challenging. School can actually be really hard. And I don't just mean from an academic point of view because I never really cared much about my grades. I didn't really put a whole lot of effort into my academic performance. That's not so much what I'm meaning. But what I mean is that school can actually be a really difficult environment to follow Jesus in. In fact, it's actually quite amazing when you look at the school system, how unlike it is to the rest of your life. The, the environment of school, that six hours a day where you're locked in close proximity with these same people, the school routine can actually be quite unlike the rest of our lives. And as I look back over my time at school, and I had a fairly easy run through school, I didn't have too many major challenges. Looking back, I realized, man, that was a really challenging environment to follow Jesus in. When you're surrounded with peer pressure, with gossip, when you're constantly learning of every new fashion trend and every new thing that's happening all around the world, every new scandal that your friends are going through, you're forced into close proximity with all kinds of different people doing all kinds of different things. And when you're that young, it's so much more difficult for those things not to influence your life and to not be influenced by other people's opinions, other people's behaviors and the things that they're doing. 
Then there is the pressure that comes with academics and assignments, and then there's sports. It seems like sport takes up every night of the week for so many of these guys. All of this stuff, school can be such a rough ride. And so as I've been thinking about this in recent years and over the years, I think it's given me a really fresh resolve as to the importance of gathering together to worship God. That when life is so busy, when life is full of so many of these different things, when I've got so many different opinions flying my way, when I've got so many different voices trying to take my attention, I think it's so key that I can find a space where I can go and I can worship God where I can be in his presence again, where I can be refreshed again, where I can have his truth spoken into my life, I can have my mind brought back to the things of him. Yet so often what I'm seeing happen with our young people is that when life does get busy, when things do come up, when there's an exam tomorrow, when there's an assignment that hasn't been finished, coming to church and coming to youth are often the first things off the list that get dropped. They're the first things to go out the window. And when we live in a world of convenience, when we live in a world of Netflix and YouTube and online gaming, all of which I love doing, but when we have the comfort of those things so readily at hand, it's so easy to let the harder things like getting out of our room and going to youth or going to church, it's so easy for those things to drop off the priority list. But Jesus said in Matthew 11, he said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. He didn't say, come to Netflix. He didn't say, have that sleep in. He didn't say, drink that extra coffee. He didn't say, go on that holiday. Not that those are bad things, but he said, come to me and I will give you rest. I will be the source of your comfort and your sustenance and your endurance. I'm not saying that those things are bad. They are good things. Sometimes we need to sleep in. Sometimes we need that holiday. We need to have that other coffee. But those things are only temporary fixes for our physical body. They won't give our souls the refreshing that they need for the long haul to do the journey of a lifelong journey of following Jesus. And so to bring it back to youth, can I please encourage you, if you have teenagers, if you know teenagers, get them coming along to church. Get them coming along to youth. Don't let those things become second-rate priorities when something else is a better option. Give them a lifestyle that prioritizes getting in the presence of God, where they can get involved and they can serve. We want those services to be a place where they can come to Jesus in the midst of whatever is going on in their lives. And so how does that relate to you out here in Selwyn? Well, for Merge this year for our services, we've been running our Selwyn van, which is our free bus route for those who live out here in Lincoln or those who live in Rolleston. It's a free uh, bus route that we run. We pick some kids up from here and then at Rolleston to bring them into Levita and then back again at the end of the night. And that's been a great blessing. That van's almost been full every fortnight with kids coming from here to get into Levita. And so just want to put a plug. If you've got a van and if you could want to drive every fortnight, we would love some extra hands. I'd love to be able to start a whole nother route so we can get as many people from here into that place where we can worship God. And so we've been running that this year so far, but we're excited to announce that next term, starting on the 30th of July, we'll be able to launch our first Selwyn cell group. Our first Selwyn cell group. And this group will run a little bit differently to the way our other cell groups run, just because of the nature of where the campus is at currently. It'll be guys and girls together and all ages together, but the same heart of a place, that smaller gathering where people can do life together, where they can come together and learn about God and have some fun. And so these things, these nights will run on the same nights as our other cell groups, and then on the other fortnights, they'll be able to jump in the van and head into Levita for Merge as well. 
And so we've been very blessed that Mel and Phil Griffiths have offered to host it at their house and their property, which is really exciting. And the cell group is going to be led by the wonderful Josh and Drew Chicago, who are going to be hosting that for us. So that's really exciting to be able to launch that starting next term. So if you want some more info, some more details, you can come chat to me afterwards this morning. We can see Julie or you can chat to them as well. And because we're starting this halfway through the year, we're, we're a little bit, you know, halfway through already, we also want to offer it up to our year eights this year. Normally it's just for our high schoolers, but because we're halfway through, we thought, let's, let's get started with our year eights and start building that relationship. So if you know some people, or if you've got family members, or if you've got kids who are in year eight or high school, come and have a chat to us. We'd love to get them plugged in to that group. Is that good? Yeah. Awesome. Okay. If you were at our all-in service a few weeks ago, you would have heard me speak about the nation of Israel. And how they forgot the things that the Lord had done for them. All the miracles he performed for them after he rescued them from Egypt. And he led them through the wilderness. And then they conquered the land of Canaan. They they were able to settle and inhabit it. But once they inhabited the land, once they settled in the land, they became comfortable and complacent. And they forgot the things that God had done for them. And eventually they abandoned the ways of the Lord, the law that he'd given them. They abandoned following him. And so for many generations, the nation of Israel barely resembled the people that God had set them apart to be. But then later on down the line, we get to King David and things start to look a little bit better. He actually follows God wholeheartedly, says he was a man after God's own heart and he leads the nation back to a place of worshiping God. And then that continues on with his son Solomon, who builds the temple as the central place where people can come to worship and glorify God. And for the most part, Solomon does a pretty good job. But in my readings recently, I've been going through the books of First and Second Kings. And these books are basically the royal line of the nation of Israel after King David and Solomon. They follow through the line of kings and who each king was and the various things that he did throughout his reign and what happened in the nation at that time. And as I'm reading through these books, there's a particular phrase that continues to pop up, a, continue, a, a, a line that seems to continue to rear its head almost every chapter. And after reading it so many times, you actually start to get sick of it. It's this line here. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight. This line can pretty much be the summary of these two books. This king ascended the throne and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord and led the people astray. And then he died, and the next king ascended to the throne, and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. King after king after king after king, they continued to abandon, abandon the Lord and do evil in his eyes and lead the people astray. You can listen to it here in 1 Kings fourteen twenty two. During Rehoboam's reign, the people of Judah did what was evil in the Lord's sight, provoking his anger with their sin, for it was even worse than that of their ancestors. As the king abandoned God, so did the people. When the king followed the Lord, the people did as well, and the nation would prosper. But when the king abandoned the Lord, when he did evil in their sight, then the people abandoned him too. And I found this quite challenging to me, actually, because while we don't have a king on the throne today that is determining who we worship, we don't have a king in that same sense that has that same level of power that a king in this day did, where he's determining the way people worship and what they do. I do feel that we do have something that is just as powerful, and that is culture. Culture is the unseen force in our lives and our society. It shapes so much of how we act 
and how we interact with one another, but it also has a huge uh, impact on the way we view God, the way we worship Him. We don't have a king today that is building altars and places of worship, but we do have a culture that builds shopping malls and sports stadiums, neither of which are bad, but can become modern-day places of worship. You see, the king would set the culture of the people. They were following him. They would do his bidding. And so he would set the culture of the nation. But in fact, in our culture today, our culture sets up many different kings for us to follow. Many different kings and queens all fighting for our attention. All all fighting for us to listen to them, to follow their example. Yet as followers of Jesus, we believe we follow the king of kings. The Lord of Lords, the one who is enthroned in heaven, the one who all authority in heaven and earth has been given to. And I believe that as followers of this king, we are called to shape culture, not be shaped by it. We carry the Holy Spirit with us wherever we go. We carry the presence of the living God with us into every situation we walk into. And when the presence of the Lord is present, things are bound to change. Things are bound to shift and to move. We should be shaping culture wherever we go. And so what I felt God highlight to me as I read this passage is the importance that it is as followers of Jesus to be a people who are self-feeding. To not just be a people that go wherever the king is saying, wherever the culture is leading, but I need to be a follower of Jesus that can feed myself. Where I am making time during my day to read his word to get it into my life, to have the laws of God spoken into my life where God is speaking to me on a regular basis when I'm spending time in prayer, spending time in his presence, having him lead me and guide me, spending time in worship when he is the source of my strength and my rest, when he is the voice that is dominating my mind so that when culture says one thing, I know that God might be saying another. But if I don't have those things in my life, if I'm not able to self-feed, or if my faith is only based on coming to church once a week or going to life group once a week, then culture is going to be something that influences me and not the other way around. If I'm not self-feeding, if I'm not reading the word regularly, spending time with God in my own time, then before long I'll fall into the same pattern of the Israelites, who when the king no longer followed God, when the king abandoned the Lord, when culture was leading away from God, then eventually I will also. And culture has so many different narratives that it's trying to push. So many different voices that are all fighting for us to follow. And so what is the main conversation that is dominating my mind? What is the main uh, voice that I'm listening to? What is the main conversation that I'm thinking about? What am I allowing myself to be influenced by? What is influencing me the most? But it wasn't all bad during the nation of Israel throughout that time. There were still people who followed God. We had the prophets who would come to lead people back to God. And there were even a few kings throughout this time who actually followed God. And one of them was a man named Joash. And Joash became king when he was only seven years old. And here's a little snippet from him about him from 2 Kings chapter 12. All his life, Joash did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. Because I'm not going to say that name, I'm going to butcher it. Because the priest instructed him. Yet even so, he did not destroy the pagan shrines. And people still offered sacrifice and burned incense there. All his life, Joash followed God. He loved God wholeheartedly. He did some wonderful things for God. He began to restore the temple. And he started to lead the nation of Israel back to following God. Yet even so, 
He did not destroy the pagan shrines and people still offered sacrifices there. The power of culture. Even though he followed God, even though this was a man who totally loved God because of the culture he was in, because of what the people wanted, he still couldn't destroy some of the things that he needed to. He compromised on what he knew was right. He allowed the influence and the voice of culture to cause him to compromise on what he knew to be God's word. And I find this challenging for me today because I like to think that I'm a man who totally loves God. I like to think I'm someone whose primary desire in life is to live out God's will for my life. My, my heart and my desire is to serve him and to follow him all the days of my life. Yet that was what Joash was like too. And he allowed those things to continue standing. He allowed those things to remain standing even though he knew they weren't good. And just like Joash, even though I know my heart's desire is to follow God, it's still easy to slip up and to fall into those things that I know aren't good or to just give in to the power of what culture might be saying. Say, I'd rather not take a stand against that because that's going to go against the grain. It's actually just a lot easier not to fight that thing. I don't want to tear that thing down because it's much easier just to not deal with it. Parts of my life, I wonder if there's parts of my life that I'm willing to compromise on the truth of the gospel just because it's easier rather than standing up to the voice of culture or the things that I'm in. I know scripture is technically pretty clear about this thing, but culture's voice says that, and it's going to be quite difficult to go against that, so I just won't bother. Later on in Joash's life, after the priest dies, you see, this priest was the one who raised Joash. He was a father figure to him. He lived in the temple with him, and he raised him. He was a father figure to him. And throughout, um, as the priest was alive, Joash would follow God wholeheartedly. But the moment the priest passed away, the moment he died, the moment his influence was no longer present in Joash's life, Joash actually turned around and he abandoned the Lord. It says that a group of the old king's advisors came to him and he stopped the repairs in the temple and he went back to an old pagan way of and led the nation away from God. In other words, his faith was based on the man. His faith was based on a person. He wasn't self-feeding. He didn't have a faith for himself that he could stand on. And so when that priest was taken away, the power of culture, the influence he allowed in his life was too strong that he couldn't go against it. And to me, the modern day equivalent of this is having a faith that is just based on coming to church once a week. A faith that's based on just attending a life group. Or a faith that's just based off your family or your parents or the routine that you're in. And while that can help you for a time as it did with Joash, it's not enough to sustain a lifetime of following Jesus a lifetime of serving him and influencing culture because as Christians, we're called to be countercultural, to not just flow with the norm, but to choose to follow God and to be obedient. But being countercultural is actually quite hard work. Swimming against the current takes a lot more energy than just going with the flow. And so if I'm not in the habit of self-feeding, those things that I mentioned earlier, if they're not a regular part of my life, then I'm not going to have the strength or even the willpower or the desire to be countercultural. But Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So therefore, go. All authority in heaven and here on this earth 
In other words, I am sending you out. I am commissioning you. So when you go out into this world, you will go with my power. You will go with my authority. My spirit goes with you, and I have all authority over culture now. And so when you go into the world, you will shape culture. Through my spirit, you can stand firm. I will be with you. He says, don't be afraid when you stand before people. I'll give you the words to say, I will be with you. Jesus' promise to us is that through his power, we can influence every part of society we go into. And so your life carries far more power and influence than you may realize. Our lives are often more important than we realize. You carry the power to speak life into people's lives. You carry the influence to bring hope into situations, to bring light into your workplace or into your school. Wherever God has placed you now, you will have an influence and it is more important than you think. And so it's so crucial that we as these people take responsibility to feed ourselves. And I know that many of you are. And if the band would like to come back as I draw it to a close, I'd like to share one more final thought. One more final thought that's been resting in my mind this year in regards to all this, and that's the importance of God's word. Part of self-feeding, part of being someone who shapes culture, who doesn't just go wherever the flow is going, who doesn't just go wherever the king is saying, in order to be a person like that, we have to have God's word in our lives. And I don't know what it is, but there's been something about this this year for me that God has just placed this on my heart so strongly over these past six months, the, important, the importance and the power that's in God's written word. Because one of the things that our culture is trying to do today is undermine the authority of this book and shake people's confidence in what it says. But I don't know about you, but when I look at Jesus' ministry, And I look at the amount of times he referred to the scriptures, the amount of weight that he placed on it, the amount of discussions he had, the amount of time he spent in the temple courts teaching from these scriptures. It was pretty clear that he placed a lot of weight in it. It was pretty clear that he was like, this is the only thing you can base your life on. This is the only thing that is going to carry the influence that you need. And I think we do ourselves a disservice when we are not allowing this book to speak to us regularly. Because, you know, it's called God's word for a reason. It's the words he's spoken. You know, for a long time, I used to think, particularly when I first started in ministry and when I was, when I was younger, and I, I used to think that in order for, to really to hear God's voice, if I wanted God to speak to me about something, if I was facing something that I really needed God to speak, and speak to my life, in order to hear God's voice, I needed to go for like a, like a long walk in Bottle Lake Forest. Or I needed to go for a long walk in nature or on the beach. Or I just needed to sit in my car quietly and have nothing on and just concentrate and concentrate. And then eventually I'd get a thought that would pop into my mind. And I'd go, sweet, that's God speaking to me and I can carry on. And while that has happened from time to time, that's not that that's wrong. What God's been revealing to me, and it seems pretty simple, but it's been a pretty big revelation for me is actually is that it's called God's word because it's the words he has spoken. I have his voice speaking to me every day in this book. And if I actually want to hear God's voice in my life regularly, I have his words with me. There's nothing wrong with going for a walk and listening to God. But what I've found particularly over the last year or so is I've had this weighing on my heart is that when I'm intentional about reading the scripture, intentional about having it speak to me, intentional about reading it to learn about God, I have had God speak to me far more than any other time in my life. 
Sometimes just little things. I'll just be reading through it in a verse that might not even speak to me. I just might find it interesting. It might be something I hadn't noticed before, so I'll highlight it. I'll make a note about it. And then as I do that more, I'll notice something else, and then something will speak into my life, and I can carry that, and then I can carry that for a bit longer. And the more I do it, what happens is I notice God start to speak to me, and so the desire to read God's word is increased. Because I'm like, God's speaking to me. I want to read this thing more. I want to read this thing more because I'm noticing things. I'm learning things. I'm having revelation spoken into my life. I'm walking with God and, and communicating with Him, and He's bringing light into my life. And so I really want to encourage you this morning, don't let reading his word slip out of your life. In fact, make it the number one priority in your relationship with him. This is where God will speak to you. This is where you will find refreshing for your soul. This is where you will have God's voice as the main voice in your mind and not the voice of culture. Jesus said, the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. A free person carries a lot more authority, a lot more influence than someone who's bound. We need to be a people that is free. Deuteronomy 8 is my last verse. Deuteronomy 8 verse 3 says, People do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Continue to get God's word in your life. Let's continue to be a people who can self-feed a people who shape culture and not be shaped by it. Let's continue to be a church that in amongst all the other voices of this world, in amongst all the other opinions, in amongst all the other influences that are around us, let's be a people that keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, fixed on the truth of who he is, the king that is above every other king. And so why don't you stand? I'd like to pray for you this morning. Father, I thank you that you choose ordinary people like us to build your kingdom. Lord, that your promise is that your spirit is with us. And you have commissioned us out to go with a mission to make disciples of every nation. But you didn't send us out on our own. You said, I will be with you even to the very end of the age. And so Lord, I pray as we Continue to be filled by your spirit. Give us a hunger again for your presence. Give us a hunger for your word, for the things of you. Let us be a people that can stand firm on the truth of what you have said. And that even when everything else might be going one way, that we will be a people that will choose to be obedient to what you have said. That this this room even here will be a room that shapes culture wherever they go whether it's in their family, whether it's in their workplace, whether it's in their school, wherever you have placed them, Lord. Show them the influence and the light that they carry. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.